All right, how's everyone feeling? All right, it's gonna be uh, this is gonna be real good. It's gonna be real good. Um, I'm gonna share with you here tonight um, what God's been showing me in these 21 days of fasting, and so. I know we're making this public on the podcast, but um, I feel like it's going to be veiled to those who uh, aren't really that hungry for it, and uh, it will be revealed to those who are really discerning. Okay, what I'm about to share here is pretty much uh, my testimony of the last 21 days and what God's been showing me and uh, my insights on what I think God is about to do and which direction uh, that we are about to head. And so this is fresh off the press. Now, I did not inquire of the Lord. Uh, obviously, I'm still in the middle of 21 days. I, was, I haven't been able to inquire of the Lord how to present everything in the best way. So, uh, uh, but you know, I, I'm a cleric and I like to uh, shoot, shoot, shoot and then aim. So uh, I'm just going to kind of share it because I feel like there's a... There's a lot of uh, good things here that uh, I feel like some of you really will savor and respond to. So I'm just going to share. Um, my personal story is in 2005, about five years ago, uh, God led me through prophetic word to come to Korea. Um, my mentor, Brother Michael... He had uh, prophesied back in 2004, and he has said that, uh, Brother Christian, you're going to see God show you favor in the eyes of those in high positions of leadership. And uh, a lot of you may have already heard this, but uh, that's the prophetic word that he gave me, and I started to be expectant and keep my eyes out, and that's exactly what I experienced. Um, the The director of the New York KCC ministry was showing me a lot of favor. Um, actually, the founder of KCCC in America, is an older gentleman, showed me amazing favor. And uh, he helped me out in a lot of ways. And uh, anyway, to make a long story short, the president of Korea Campus Crusade in Korea uh, heard about the fruit of my ministry at Columbia University. I had only been there about two years. And there was a lot of fruit coming forth, and a lot of students getting discipled. And uh, he heard about that and flew out to New York for something else. Um, but one of the main reasons he came to New York was to try to find me and talk to me. And so um, after a couple of trips where he didn't get to actually meet me, we finally met up, and he invited me to come to Korea. And uh, that was not particularly on my agenda. I was really enjoying ministry at Columbia University. I loved the students. I was seeing so much fruit. It was like a family, you know, and we were really, really tight. And um, and I planned to finish out at least four years at Columbia, but um, I took it before the Lord because I remembered Brother Michael's prophecy, among other things. And uh, when I started to really pray about it, as I'm about to pray about it, there was a trip to Korea. So I actually came to Korea in April in 2005 for a Korea Campus Crusade staff conference. 
And there were about 2,000 people at this thing. And Korea Campus Crusade has a lot of staff. And uh, we flew in from America. And I was here in Korea praying about whether to live in Korea. And I remember one night I was standing in front of a pond and asking God for a sign. And then these little frogs started jumping on the pond. And I was like, is that you, Lord? Uh, anyway, uh, I couldn't really be solid on those signs. So uh, I just kept praying and I, and I felt peace in my heart about making the decision. And as I look back on my previous summers, I had come to Korea almost every single summer since 1998 uh, for mission trips. And so every time I came to Korea, I loved it. I really enjoyed being in the city of Seoul. I loved Lotte World. I loved uh, the food. I loved the subway system. I just remember thinking, yeah, I could really live here. And then here I was in 2005, and God was asking me to come. And uh, anyway, make a long story short, I made the decision to come to Korea. I announced it at my church. And uh, when I made the announcement and asked for my church's support, because my church is supporting me as a Campus Crusade staff, uh, they were supporting me a lot of money. Um, after the service was over, the treasurer came up to me and said, hey, somebody wrote you a check, Christian. Uh, and I was like, yeah, how much was it? You know, you know. You know. I thought it was 100 or 200, and uh, the check was made for, I always forget, it's eight or nine thousand dollars. Anyway, it was a big amount, right? <laughs> it was either eight or nine thousand dollars. I gotta look at that in my journal. But, um, and I was, uh, I was just completely floored. And I just knew that was God's confirmation. I want you in Korea at all costs. Okay. And so, anyway, I come to Korea. And I'm going to start leaving out. I'm just going to start making a real nutshell version right now. I came to Korea and I met a childhood friend uh, from Philly. And uh, it was a friend that I didn't really particularly give that much attention to growing up. She was the younger sister of a, of a friend that was the same age. Uh, but when I met her here in Korea, um, she was moving in the gift of prophecy. And so when we met up and we're catching up, she starts getting all these prophetic words and stuff. And so she insists that we go to a cafe and pray. And she asks if she can pray for me and release some of these prophetic words. And because I was mentored by uh, Italian-American pastor, Brother Michael, who had the gift of prophecy, I was very familiar with this. Even though I was new to the charismatic movement, the gift of prophecy was okay. In my, I had complete peace and I was really supportive of it. So anyway, we went to a cafe. She prophesied all these things about how I'm going to start serving at JSCM, which is uh, New Philly, which is the old name for New Philly. And she starts prophesying all this stuff about Pastor Dave and how, how I'm going to serve and help him and all this stuff. And, um, and anyway, it was like, like really right on. And uh, as we were leaving, she shared a prof another prophecy with me. It was a much bigger prophecy. And she said that she had received a prophecy that God is going to bring revival to Korea from people, through people from the outside. So foreigners will play a key role in this amazing revival. And she uh, said that she thought that it was going to be a revival for the whole peninsula. Meaning that, you know, there's got to be some kind of reunification or some kind of open doors. Right? And so I received this prophecy and I'm just thinking, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. But I have no interest in staying in Korea more than two years. Uh, my assignment for Campus Crusade was a conference that we had in 2007. And so, um, man, God showed me a lot of favor too. Because I got to travel to like Singapore and London. Even got to visit Paris and all this stuff. All Campus Crusade paid. And I got to like meet with all these like Campus Crusade world-class leaders. It was, it was great. 
It was boring, but it was also great. But the meetings would be these long meetings, and I don't know what they were talking about, like strategy and critical mass and all these. I, anyway, um, well, I learned a lot about character and leadership through watching these awesome Campus Crusade staff. Um, nevertheless, I didn't have an interest in staying past those two years. So I said, Lord, if you're going to bring that revival, it better be within those two years because I'm out of here. I'm going to go back to New York. Um, 2007 comes, and there's two things that influenced me to change my decision. <laughs> number one, okay. Um, number one, um, I got a dream. Around springtime of 2007, right before the conference, and right before I need to start making decisions about whether to go back to uh, New York or not, um, I get this dream. Uh, you might turning up the mic a little because I'm losing my voice. Uh, I get this dream, and in the dream, I'm in a building. And I know that the building, uh, okay, let me get this right. I know that the building represents New York. Okay. All right. And so I leave the building, and I start driving down the road, you know? And then. As I'm driving down the road, I decide I'm going to go back to New York because I really like New York. And I still do, right? I love New York. And uh, I started thinking, I'm going to go back to New York. And so I U-turn in this dream. And as I'm driving back to the same road, right, I'm expecting New York City, the building of New York City to appear. No building. I start going up a hill, and I'm on top of a hill. Next thing I know... I'm looking down at this valley and it's just completely barren. It's just a big, dry, dead, and barren cornfield. It was it's so vivid. Like I can even just taste it right now. It was like I could taste the dryness of the corn. It was just dead. It was just like a dead cornfield. And I'm, I'm just like, okay, maybe I just need to get through this valley and maybe New York's over there. And I start going down the hill, and all of a sudden, my, the, the car that I'm driving is gone. And I'm on a skateboard, on my belly, going down the hill. The road is gone, and I'm eating like corn. <laughs> Next thing I know, the skateboard's gone, and I'm rolling on my belly. <laughs> and then I'm just like eating all this corn. I'm scratched up by all the dry corn. And I'm just like, what is going on? And then I wake up. So I interpret this dream later on because, you know, God was speaking to me through a lot of prophetic dreams at the time. And so I interpret it to mean that uh, I share this with Dr. Park, the uh, president of Camp Cray Campus Crusade, because we have a really chill friendship. Um, and I shared it with him and I, and I asked him, you know, I'm trying to make a decision about whether to go back to New York. The New York office really wants me to come back. Uh, I know that there's a huge need there and, um, and I, I'm, I'm looking forward to going back. But I had this dream and... Um, uh, this is my interpretation of it. What do you think, Dr. Park? Um, and so I, I shared an interpretation. And so I think that the building represents New York, obviously. I go down the road, you know, and I get to travel, and I go to Korea, and I'm there for two years. And at the end of the two years, I decide I'm going to go back to New York. And so I go back to New York, but I can't find New York. And rather, what I think will be New York ends up being this big, dry, barren cornfield. And as 
I just interpret it to mean that God is warning me. If I go back to New York, there will just be barrenness, dryness, no fruit. Because that's not what I experienced before I left. You know? And so I shared this interpretation with him and I asked him, what do you think? And Dr. Park says, you know, Christian, you know, I, think, I think that interpretation might be right on. I think you should, you should consider staying in Korea. And you know what? If you want to stay in Korea, like assignment-wise, I had no reason to really stay in Korea. Um, but, but, Pat, but Dr. Park was supportive of me doing campus ministry in Korea at Yonsei University, his alma mater. So he was like, you know what? I'll support you if you decide to stay. So, you know, that was really nice of Dr. Park, you know, because he had to go out of the way, actually. And, and it ended up creating a lot of controversy for him later. Uh, because the New York office was like, why aren't you sending Christian back? You know, he's our property, you know. Uh, you know, they, they didn't say it like that. But, you know, they were a little upset that I wasn't coming back and, and things like that. And Dr. Park really went out of the way to try to vouch for me. And he has a lot of power, you know. Um, but nevertheless, uh, I got to stay in Korea. Um, but that was one thing that influenced me to start thinking, stay in Korea. The second thing that influenced me to stay in Korea was uh, Aaron. So springtime of 2007, um, I start to have interest in Aaron. I took a month to pray about Aaron. And then I had decided at the end of the month, I will not ask her out. And uh, our good old brother Jazz, he used his military interrogation techniques to somehow, I don't know what he did to me, but he somehow convinced me to, uh, to uh, go just go for it. And um, I remember he didn't know exactly who it was and what the situation was, but uh, I told him kind of the gist of what was hanging me up. And uh, to put it in a nutshell, I was kind of hung up on Aaron's past because I, I had led her healing and deliverance session, and I knew that Aaron had a very rebellious past, a very promiscuous past, and uh, I, don't, I don't have that kind of experience. And... Uh, you know, if you're, I guess, you know, just be real. Like, if you're a guy and you're like a virgin and you've been saving yourself, like, you just have this expectation that the person you marry and the person that God will send you to marry would also be in the same kind of boat, you know? And uh, for those who can't really handle it, I think that they just would pass by such women, women that God would lead into their lives that don't have that same background. Anyway... Uh, Jazz looks to me and says, well, um, let me ask you a question. And I said, what? And I said, well, do you believe she's forgiven of all that by the, by the blood of Christ? And I said, yeah, of course I do. And that's what I told her from my own mouth at her healing and deliverance session. I said, you are forgiven and cleansed. God's given you a new beginning, sister. You're a new creation in Christ. And so he said, all right. So what's the problem? What's the problem? And, I, and, and when he said that, you know, I was just like, man, you don't understand, man. You don't know, man. You don't know. But uh, later on, his words haunted me, and I, and I brought it before the Lord. And I knew that the Lord was confronting me, you know. Whether I ended up marrying Aaron or not, he was confronting me. Like, do you really believe the gospel? You know, you declare that she has a new beginning, okay? If you really believe she's got a new beginning, all right, 
If Erin never went through all any of the things she went through, if she never went through any of that, what would you do? And I was like, I'd ask her out. <laughs> and God said, well, you know, I've given her a new beginning. You can choose to believe it or not. Anyway, uh, after getting confronted by the Lord in, in that way and just praying and wrestling through that, um, Jazz happened to set us up somehow one night where I ended up taking it and driving her home. And uh, anyway, make a long story short, I asked her out that night. Um, she uh, said yes. Um, and the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> um, but uh, those two things influenced me to stay in Korea in 2007. Now, uh, 2007, um, by this time, we had gone about six or seven months of, of the, the prayer movement that had started through Friday Fire. Um, and during that time, there was a lot of healing and deliverance ministry, a lot of signs and wonders, a lot of the fire of God, uh, a lot of the charismatic renewal movement uh, was happening at uh, New Philly, which was called GSCM back then. And um, little did I know that spring of 2008 will come and I would step up as the lead pastor of this church. Uh, my plan was to just continue doing campus ministry at Campus Crusade. Um, but nevertheless, uh, that's how the Lord, uh, he led me. Now, I'm going to fast forward now. Okay, I'm going to fast forward to the 21 days of the fast. Um, So a lot of wonderful things have been happening in between. Um, a lot of wonderful people. A lot of prophecies, you know, have been spoken over our church. You know, I was listening to Mike Bickle's Encount Encountering Jesus series. And in it, he chronicles all of the prophecies and visions that IHOP has received uh, for it to be birthed in their history. Like, he just talks about all the prophecies and visions. And as I'm hearing this, I just felt like the Lord was saying, you know... New Philly has a lot of prophecies and visions. And Christian, you, your personal ministry has a lot of prophecies and visions. But you need to identify what they are. Because they're all scattered in your head. Okay, And so, um, during the 21 days, one of the things that God's really convicted me of is to start to chronicle and trace the prophecies and the visions that God has put upon my personal ministry and upon New Philly. And uh, out of that place to really consider clues and hints and prophecies that he's given us uh, about what, where we are headed and what direction we're headed in. Okay? And so uh, that's one of the convictions I got during 21 Day Fast. And I've been doing that. Um, I'm still in the process of doing that. But in the process of doing that, I got to chronicle what's been happening in these 21 days. The revelations I'm getting fresh during these 21 days. So that's what I'm going to share with you right now. May 1st, I got a Facebook message from Kendra. May 1st, I got a prophecy from Kendra. It's okay. Thanks, Mina. Um, and Kendra prophesied in her message that God will send people to help me do what I'm called to do in Korea. She said that God will start to send people to help do what God has called us to do here in Korea. All right? 
And so uh, she gives me this prophecy May 1st. And um, this prophecy reminded me of a prophecy we got in February of this year through Rob Hodgkin. Rob Hodgkin has this vision of heaven. And uh, while he's in this vision of heaven, he gets a prophecy. God is placing a star high above New Philadelphia Church. And that at this hour, people are going to be drawn to the star just as they were drawn to Bethlehem the night Jesus was born. Right? And then he also says, just as three wise men right, went to the place where Jesus was birthed, because this is a manger, this church is a hidden manger, a humble hidden manger where we're birthing Christ and honoring Him wholeheartedly. Uh, Rob Hodgkin said that God will send three wise men with their gifts to help us steward what we have. So anyway, this is February. Kendra's comes in May. Right after Kendra's prophecy, I get email messages. One from Pastor Eddie, and he says, Hey, um, uh, I got these IHOP com- guys coming to Korea. Uh, do you guys want to have them for Friday Fire? And I said, All right, why not? Okay. Uh, I get another message from Susie Park from North Carolina. And she says, Hey, I just met um, this guy, Pastor Rodney Henderson. And he told me he's, he's got a trip coming up to Korea. I was wondering if you guys want to connect and maybe have him come by New Philly. And so I said, all right, why not? So I contact both of them, and both of their schedules are packed. But both of their schedules, they open up for them to come by New Philadelphia. And it happens to be during the month of June. And it happens to be in consecutive weekends, the second and third week, the, the second and third weekend of June. Um, so that's really cool. Then at the end of May, I'm reading a book by Che An called Say Goodbye to Powerless Christianity. And in this book, Che An is chronicling, chronicling, taking a history of Harvest Rock's uh, church, how they started and what happened, beginning stages, and how they did a corporate fast and all these things. Awesome book. You, should, you guys should definitely read it. It's, you guys should read about the histories of like Toronto Airport Church. You should read the history of Brownsville Revival. Read the history of like all these different um, outpourings. Because there's a lot of things that you'll learn. Not just that the fact that there was healings and miracles, signs and wonders, but you will also learn about character, how to steward the anointing, what mistakes to avoid, uh, uh, interpersonal things that you should be aware of, Attacks that the enemy usually uses to kill a revival. You know, it's good to read these uh, biographies and histories. But anyway, I'm reading Harvest Rock Church's history. And uh, I get to a point in the chapter where it talks about how Cheon, he called a 40-day fast for his church. And he, and he just said, uh, hey, some of our staff, we're going to do a 40-day fast. If you guys want to join us, you're wel- welcome to. Okay? And then from Harvest Rock, just hundreds of people just committed to, uh, to doing a 40-day fast. And um, when I read that chapter, God just like shook me. And I just knew that that little shaking in my soul was that God, God was like telling me, I want you to call the church to do a fast. Right? And don't, don't ask me how I got it. I just, I just knew it was boom. It wasn't there before, and it, then it was there. And so I started thinking, oh, wow, what a great idea, a 21-day fast. I, I don't know wh- where I got 21 days, but... 
I'm pretty sure it wasn't there and then it was there. So I'm thinking 21 day fast. Uh, I did not think 40 day fast. Okay. I thought 21 day fast. And, um, and then the Lord, and then the Lord prompted me and he said, I just felt like he reminded me, I gave you this prompting a month ago. You didn't notice it. And, uh, I felt like the Lord a month before was telling me to do it in May. Um, but now I just felt like in, at the end of May, God was like, you know, I want you to do it in June. It's okay. You know, there's grace. I still love you. So to do it in June. And so this is like the last weekend in May, you know, and I'm just like, oh, how many people are going to respond to this? You know, maybe I should wait off and we'll do it. You know, when should I start the fast? And, and I just felt like God was saying, start at June 1st, start at June 1st to 21st. Um, next morning, I look at my Facebook inbox and I get a message from Joe O. Uh, Joe O is one of our good friends who's been ministering to us uh, in recent months. And Joe O says, hey, Christian, I'm in the middle of a 21-day fast. I'm loving it. It's a great idea. You should consider it. Bye. Okay. It's exactly the way he communicates. Um, so that's interesting. So I kind of write, write back and I say, hey, Joe, um, last night, God really put strongly in my heart, do a 21-day fast. And so I feel like uh, what you wrote to me is a confirmation. What do you think? He writes back right away. Oh, actually, it was a prophetic word. Uh, I was just packaging it nicely for you. <laughs> Glad you guys are going to do it. Go for it. So I'm like, all right, thanks. Then I, then I check my friends, uh, people who added me as friends. And this, this is getting kind of a little too long, but uh, uh, I don't add friends that I don't meet personally. Just because there's a lot of personal things on my Facebook, I just don't do that. I don't think that's cool. Um, but, you know, people, like, they see me preach once, and then they think they're my friend, and they add me, you know, which is cool. You know, it depends on what you think is cool Facebook etiquette. Everyone has different standards, you know. But I'm not going to add you, you know. Um, but somebody that added me that morning was Pastor Robert O. And I never met Pastor Robert O, right? But Pastor Robert O had gone to Jubilee two years ago. And did this retreat and signs and wonders. Holy Spirit shows up. A lot of people get blessed and they experience the Holy Spirit. And then he like inspires a lot of the Jubilee leaders to do a 21-day fast. And that's because Robert O has um, written a 21-day fasting resource. It's like a devotional uh, for each of the 21 days. And then you know he he has a lot of influence from Pastor Yonggi Cho of Yoidofu Gospel Church. So, you know, he, like, he just chronicles all that, and it's in his devotion. And so anyway, um, I knew that. So when he added me, I confirmed it, and then I wrote him a little message, and I said, Pastor Robert, oh, you, this is crazy, you know. The timing of you adding me as a friend, I know we've never met, um, but the crazy thing is the other night, God told me to do a 21-day fast, and then you confirmed me, and I feel like you confirmed me as a friend. You adding me as a friend on Facebook is a confirmation of, to do the 21-day fast. Um, thanks for adding me, you know, and then he writes back, that's really great. God bless you. <laughs> you, know, cause, you know, he's busy and stuff, you know, and, uh, but, uh, so, you know, um, I was already feeling the conviction, two confirmations, you know, I'm good to go, right? We make the announcement and just like people like 
they swarm to the sign-up list. And they just start signing up, right? And so we get like 65 from Hillside. We get like 12 from Itaewon. Following uh, that same week, I'm getting emails and emails and people just adding on, adding on, adding on. People that aren't even at New Philly, just who follow us through our podcast, just asking, asking me, hey, will you give me permission to join you on this fast? And I'm like, you crazy young people. Yeah, of course you could join us on this 21 day fast. And, uh, and so next thing we know, we have 130 people, right? And uh, about 79 of them are doing liquids only juice fast. Uh, the remaining are doing a one meal a day fast. Uh, and, and so, you know, that's also a confirmation. Just like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking if we get like, like just the leaders to do it. You know, I was just thinking maybe the leaders and a few excited people, you know. Um, but the, we have exactly 65 leaders. And we saw double that number, you know. And so it really, it really shows that God was, for me, confirming that this was a call from Him. So this is how we started 21 Day Fast. Okay? And so uh, we've been doing 21 Day Fast. Uh, first uh, five uh, days, we, we opened up on May 31st with the far, first five days of prayer meetings. And uh, it was really great. God's showing up. Um, people getting blessed. People getting rocked by the fire. And, but you know, it's a similar measure to what we've already seen. But you know, we're hungering and we're pressing in. And God's just really speaking to us. And then the second Friday of the fast, um, second Friday of June, Pastor John gives this message, right? And John Newfeld um, gives this message that like, he said, he said, a lot of people are counting down the days till the fast is over. And we're all like saying, oh, there's only like 12 more days to go, 15 more days to go. And he said, but this is what I'm not hearing from people. He said, no one is saying there's only 12 days remaining. We're running out of time. And I just remember when he said that, my spirit broke and I got convicted. All right? And I, and I, and I tears started coming out and I'm just like, that is a word from the Lord. Oh my goodness. And then he goes into the second Kings passage about King Joash. Elisha comes up to him and says, I strike the ground. And King Joash firmly knew it was a prophetic act because um, Elisha has already shown him that another prophetic act right before and King Joash just you know nonchalantly strikes the ground just a few times and then Elisha uh, or Elisha however way you want to say it the prophet gets angry with righteous anger and says why did you strike the ground only those few times if you struck the ground five or six times the Lord would have given you victory completely over your enemies but now you will have to deal with them, you know, all the days of your life or whatever, however long, right? Um, really convicted by that message. That same weekend, the next day, we have um, Kirk and Rodney from IHOP. Kirk Bennett is uh, amazing, amazing, one of the amazing leaders at IHOP. And uh, he was there toward the beginning when they started 24-7 prayer meetings. Uh, he was there with Mike Bickle and... Uh, um, wonderful man of God very prophetic man he's a he's a priest he's got a priestly anointing a priestly calling um, they have a team of seven and uh, I thought the Koreans that were hosting them and that flew them in were going to house them but last minute 
we find out we have to find housing for seven people. And so I'm thinking, oh man, it's like, you know, two nights at a hotel, you know, that's like $120, $130, you know, for every two people. There's seven people. That means we have to get about four rooms out. Where the heck am I going to find four rooms times $240, right? And I'm just starting to stress out, right? I'm just getting frustrated with the staff. I start blaming Mina, as I usually do, yelling at her and saying, this is your fault. I don't know. But, uh, um, oh, you guys, all of a sudden having not, uh, tremendous compassion for her, right? Um, but I start getting frustrated. And then uh, as I'm calming down, I felt like the Lord is saying, what? why are you getting so upset? Well, I, I'm like, Lord, could have given me a better warning? And, and God's like, do you have no faith that I can provide? One, you guys have more than enough money in your reserve to be able to fund this thing. Two, I'll provide it. You won't even have to touch any of your reserve funds. And so God just puts it strong in my heart. And so I'm thinking, practically... How will God provide? And I start thinking, ah. I have an emergency staff meeting. I tell them, I tell the staff, hey, uh, we're going to do an offering at the prayer school. You know, we announce it's free and it is free. There's no obligation to give an offering. But uh, we're going to do an offering at the prayer school. And we're going to just trust that the offering from the prayer school is going to be more than enough to cover the honorarium and all the housing. And uh, anyway, uh, the that was Friday afternoon. Friday night at Friday fire, as Pastor John is preaching this message, during that Friday fire, God puts it strong in my spirit, you will not do an offering at the prayer school. And I'm like, all right, I will not do an offering at the prayer school. God says, you will do an offering now. And I'm like, okay. The previous week, we did an offering for Niagara Conference. And we saw a good amount. You know, but there was a lot of people the previous, night, previous week. It was about... 80 people the previous week and we saw $1,300 and 1.3 mil Korean won. And that's, a, that's a good amount of offering for about 80 people that didn't really bring cash with them. Well, this is the following week and we have a lot less people. This is maybe like 55 people at most or something like that. And, uh, and I'm thinking, if we saw 1,300 the previous week you know, and we get about 1,300 this week with less people, that's not even enough to cover like the honorarium and, and, and some of the hotel. And, and not even mention their food and all this other stuff. What? This doesn't make any sense. Let's do it tomorrow, Lord. And, but I know, I know when the Lord speaks, right? And so I just get up there boldly. I grab the mic and I go, you guys, we're going to do an offering right now. All right? And it's going to be for the prayer school. It's going to be for tomorrow. This is all going to go toward um, providing for and blessing the IHOP leaders. Um, uh, you guys can give as much as the Lord puts on your heart. And so uh, people give. And that week, we tally up all the offerings, right? And we got 3.8 million Korean won in, right? Almost $4,000, right? So people really respond to this thing. And I'm just thinking, wow, that's awesome. I wonder what next week's offering is going to look like, you know, <laughs> or what that's going to go toward. And by the way, um, this past Friday, which was the last offering we took, um, that was through a prophetic word. That um, that was through a prophetic word. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. And I responded to that. And uh, and so I just felt like God was saying, uh, "We, I want you to bless OEM, and just do an offering, no strings attached. Just just give it to them. 
and just say, we want to bless you. We love what you're doing. Here you go. Uh, and so we did an offering this past Friday for OEM. Okay. And uh, I'm thinking, yeah, I, the previous week's pretty good. I don't know if it's got anything to match that. And um, uh, Mina wrote me an email and said, we received, we have received and in pledged amounts. It was over around four mil. I wasn't, I saw five on their email. Are you sure? There's always these, mis- I shouldn't call her out like this because she gets a little, uh, okay. I saw an email the other day and it said, it's that 5.2 or 5.3 mil. Okay, so maybe I just need to double check, but that's what I saw in the email. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, anyway, once again, I mean, you guys really responded and just really gave a lot. Um, so, you know, I'm sure that as we give the offering to OEM, you know, they'll really be blessed. Uh, and I believe that God's going to just bless each and every one of you that has sown in these last three Fridays uh, into the 21-day offering, 21-day uh, fasting offering. But anyway, uh, so we have more than enough. I'm just, you know, joyful. And I'm just like, yeah, next day I see Ronnie and Kirk. And I'm like, welcome, you know. And I'm just saying, we can, you can get you a good dinner. You don't have to worry about nothing, you know. And uh, so we, we embrace uh, them. And they come, they minister to us. Holy Spirit shows up very powerfully. A lot of people getting healed. Amazing um, things are happening. And then uh, we worked it out that Kirk will stay at um, my, uh, our Aaron and my uh, apartment. We have a guest room in our apartment. So Kirk ended up staying there by himself in the guest room. Um, and we would hang out after at the end of the day. And he would talk. And he would just kind of share these amazing testimonies about IHOP and Bob Jones and Mike Bickle. All this inside stuff that you will never get to hear. And we're just eating it up. And then he just prophesies out of nowhere and just starts, you know, just blessing us. Well, the Sunday night, uh, the last night of his stay at our place, uh, he starts to prophesy over me. Um, And actually, earlier that night, Sunday night, we had dinner with uh, the whole team. And during the whole dinner, Pastor Rodney and Kirk Bennett, they kept insisting that... I should consider opening up a house of prayer. Okay? And so, I'm just like, all right, yeah, that's probably what you guys say to everyone. Because you guys are IHOP. That's your product. You're trying to sell me on your product. Look, go talk to Pastor Paul. I think he'll do it. But I got a pastor of a local church, and I got this big vision for this church. I don't know. I can't do no house of prayer. That's, that's, that's like full-time job separate, you know? And uh, I'm just, I don't even know what it means, right? But uh, they start just prophesying and like encouraging me. Not prophesying, they were encouraging me. And they just like, I really feel like, Christian, you've got this like Davidic key. Uh, there's a Davidic anointing and call in your life. You know, we really want to encourage you. And so I'm like, all right, you know what? Let me just be frank with you guys, you know? I'm a Northeaster, right? I'm, I'm going to be frank. I'm going to be blunt. I feel like you're trying to sell me a product. And so they got a little taken back. And I was oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> uh, but I was just like, Kirk, uh, explain to me what is a house of prayer. And so he just starts going into all the biblical connections of the tabernacle of David, uh, a term that really wasn't defined for me up until this point. And he starts talking about the house of prayer. Talks about the history of how IHOP's house of prayer started. 
they didn't even have 24-7 in the beginning. They had the Daniel prayer, which was three times a day. Uh, they were doing three times a day every day for a while. Mike Bickle was a pastor of a very large church. Um, Metro uh, Christian Fellowship grew to like 7,000 at one point. You know, it was a very big church. Um, but he, he had a calling to be an intercessor. And so, you know, anyway, Kirk's going through all of this. And I'm just like trying to take it in. And I'm just asking the Lord, is this you, Lord? Or is this just IHOP propaganda? You know? And I'm just seriously thinking this. I'm just being real with you, right? Because uh, for me, it seemed a little out of left field. Because for me, I had not been getting impressions or callings uh, toward doing anything like that. Because in my eyes, I feel like we have a house of prayer here. You know? You guys pray. You know, schedule-wise, optimal frequency is twice a week, okay? So we pray Friday night and Sunday morning. And when we pray, we you know, we make up for all the time we're not there together during the week, right? We pray, man. We pray intensely. And, and uh, when you guys go home, you pray in your prayer closet. You guys are each a house of uh, a tabernacle of David. You guys are each a Bethel. You know, you guys have your own prayer lives. So I'm just thinking, I, we already have a house of prayer. You know, and um, so, you know, I, and why do I need to conform to your definition of, you know, what a house of prayer is? And I'm just thinking all these things through, right? And, uh, Anyway, later that, that night, um, they, uh, Kirk Ben is back at my house, and it's a very quiet setting, just Aaron, Kirk, and I. And then Aaron starts to listen to one of the CDs, and she's just in la-la land, praising the Lord on her own on the couch. And then it's just me and Kirk. And man, Kirk just starts to continue just to just be like, hey, I just want to be your friend. You know? You know Christian, you can just take it or leave it. Look. I'm just here. All I want to do is just I want to help you do what you're doing in Korea. I want to help you steward what God's given you. Okay. He's using the same exact words from Ram Hodgkin's prophecy and Kendra's prophecy. Right? And so I'm like, this is familiar. Right? And so Kirk's like, look, we don't want to come in here and control. we We just want to help you. We, and we just really like you. You guys have an awesome church. We just want to be your friends. And so he's just speaking to me. And that just opened up my heart more, right? So I like you, Kirk. <laughs> uh, then he starts to share um, some key Bible verses with me. And uh, I, wanted, I want you guys to turn to some of those. Um, Isaiah 22. Isaiah twenty two twenty two, real easy to memorize. I mean the reference. Isaiah twenty two twenty two, right? So I'll read that. Isaiah twenty two twenty two says, I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. It sounds a little familiar, right? What I didn't know was that the prophecy given to the church in Philadelphia in Revelation 3.8 okay, was a reference to Isaiah 22.22. 22. Okay? And so whatever person or ministry or, or church or house gets this type of prophecy, they get, they get this Davidic key to shut and open you know, these things. You know? Kirk is like saying, it's already in the name of your church. 
It's connected to your calling, Christian. God's placed on your, your shoulder this Davidic key. And so I'm like, oh, that's a pretty good verse. I, I've never seen before. <laughs> and he's like, um, part of that is you build the tabernacle of David. Okay. And then he starts telling me that um, Kansas City has seen amazing things like drop-offs and the crime rate and all these things, you know, uh, just simply through having a night and day uh, place of worship, a tabernacle of David, a place where it's filled with priests, singers, and musicians that are constantly ministering to the Lord. It's not about like some guest speaker. It's not about a good message. It's just about praising the Lord and interceding. Right? And so he's like, look, that's part of, you know, having the Davidic key on your life, you know, is, uh, is connected to like the tabernacle of David. You know, that's kind of like what he was kind of implying, I guess, you know. I'm, so I'm trying to process all of this. Um, there's another passage you gave me, but we're not going to look that up. But, um, and I, uh, he starts saying, uh, the other day I did an altar call, do you remember? Where I asked people to stand at the prayer school who have a calling. Um, oh no, I think it was at Sunday service. Uh, who have a calling to be a singer or musician uh, in the house of God or something like that. And he said that he saw like so many young people stand. Was that the prayer school or was it at both? It was at prayer school, but he did another one on Sunday. Well, that's where Doug came up. Right? And so that was, I think the one on Sunday was for full-time. People that felt like they had a call to full-time. But anyway, he did it twice. And he said he, said he saw a lot of young people. All right? And I'm like, well, you haven't heard them sing. You, know? <laughs> you haven't heard them play the guitar. All right? I'm, I'm, I was just being real. I was just saying, if they're singers and musicians, well, that's news to me because they sure haven't shown me that. Okay? And they, need a lot of, they need a lot of practice or something you know, before they can get up in the need. But uh, he was like, you know what? Let me just tell you a little story. I hop in the beginning, Julie Myers, Misty Edwards, all these girls, they could have sing. All these drummers, musicians, they sounded horrible. People would come up and they do these spontaneous songs and they were terrible. But that's, that was our humble beginnings. But, but you see, right now, you musicians, they only get to practice about once or twice a week they perform and minister to the Lord only about twice a week at most you can't improve your music skills playing about twice a week see what happened was these young people uh, when we started 24-7 prayer is they were doing six sets a week and so even like his daughter Abby you know playing the keyboard and singing She's doing this like five, six times a week. She's 14 years old, and she's leading a praise band with like 25-year-olds, 26-year-olds. But she's leading this thing because she built up that much leadership, musical gifting, and worship-leading anointing by the age of like 14 to be able to do that. Why? Because she's doing it so frequently. So he was like, don't, don't worry, you know? And then he's just like, I just want you to chew on it, that's all. Yeah, I just want I just want you to just think about it. So anyway, um, uh, the, it's like two thirty in the morning, um, and so we decide just to close in prayer. And as Kirk is praying, he starts to prophesy. 
All right, and he's prophesied all these things. Uh, I'm just going to mention one of them. And one of the things he prophesied was um, blueprints from heaven are coming, Christian. And you're going to know exactly what you're supposed to do. Some of these blueprints are going to come in increments, but God's going to download blueprints from heaven. At the prayer school the day before, he had prophesied something else. He said, he prophesied, Christian, your call is bigger than the local church. Okay, and so, anyway, I get these two prophecies, okay? All right, very good. Um, if you guys remember, the Friday Pastor John preached was a Friday when I got really like stirred up and I had this prophetic word and I started rebuking everybody. You know how I do the rebukes, right? Like I did earlier tonight. Uh, I did a rebuke and I was like, do not treat prophecies with contempt. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. You guys keep forgetting the prophecies that come your way. That's because you're treating it with contempt. You got to learn to like treasure these things up, document these things, like, like ponder the prophecies you get. Do not treat them with contempt. That's the word of the Lord tonight and all this stuff. And I remember at the end of the night, John Michael came up to me and he was like, so what are some of the prophecies Dell made the uh, last year? And I was like, well, you know, there was a lot. Like, uh... <laughs> do not treat prophecies to condemn. That's all I hear in my heart. Do not treat prophecies to condemn. Good question, bro. I said, what, what, what are some of the things my Brother Michael said? You know, I, I don't know. I, all I remember, I got real convicted there. And so that whole weekend when Kirk and Ronnie are talking to me, that same conviction is there in my heart. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. So I'm trying to take the notes. I'm trying to like remember what God is saying. I'm like, Lord, I will not treat your prophecies with contempt. That was uh, June 13th, Sunday night. June 14th, we say goodbye to Kirk and everything. Um, June 14th, on that Monday, during my prayer time, God says, do an altar call for newcomers at the next Sunday service. Okay. So, okay. I took a little note. Try to remember it. Okay. Uh, June 16th, this past Wednesday, last week, we have a pastor's meeting about the joint prayer movement meeting goes really well I'm driving home and I'm starting to say to God I'm listening to Mike Bickle's uh, Encountering Jesus uh, CDs and I'm starting to hear the history I'm continuing to hear it and I start saying to God Lord if you really want me to open up some kind of prayer center that I need your confirmation just like you, com- you, got, you gave confirmation from Mike Bickle I'm doing the same thing right now you better give me confirmation. And these are things that I'm not going to proceed unless I see these provisions. Because I know how it is in the city. It's very expensive. I, I, can't do the, I can't do a prayer center here at New Philly Church. And I don't think you want it to be a New Philly thing. You want it to be an open thing for the city. Right? And so I'm just thinking, well, if you want me to do this, you've got to provide a facility. And then you got to provide a facility manager because I am not dealing with all the Korean laws. 
All right. Um, and so I start asking God, Lord, give me signs, confirmations. One of the specific confirmations I'm, I'm asking you to give me is confirm it through the mouth of my mentor, Brother Michael. Okay. Because Mike Bickle had done similar things, like confirm it through Bob Jones' mouth, and God, God did it. Like you know, so I will confirm it. If you really want me to do the prayer center, confirm it. And uh, this prayer center is not just prayer center. My original dream is to open up a training school, like a DTS. But then this is like a DDT DTS, <laughs> DDTS. Uh, anyway, um, I, but like a much more like powerful, supernatural. Uh, intense, uh, militant kind of training. You know, seven to ten months. I don't know, like some kind of training program. It will be for college uh, graduates or uh, people that want to change their careers or in the middle who have time to come out do this training, and then they can get sent to the marketplace, entertainment industry, wherever. You know, but uh, that's the original dream is to open up a training school. And uh, I, I have this training school, kind of like already written out, like you know, like what the curriculum what the curriculum would look like and all these things. And then uh, I talked to Kirk a little bit about the training school. And I remember him saying, well, what's a training school without a prayer center? With, without, you know, do you think they're going to learn more? Because this is what the seminaries have done. Do you think they're going to learn more in the classroom and be transformed in the classroom or in the presence of God? All right. And so I'm thinking, well, the seminaries have these chapels and they don't seem that effective. Well, that's because the chapels... You know, too much of a religious spirit has gotten to a lot of these chapels, you know. So you got to put it, build it into the curriculum, you know. Um, just as like, you know, IHOP has these required hours in the prayer room. You know, if you do a training school, you know, you get a lot more fruit if you get these students to be in the prayer, prayer room, right? Anyway, so I was like, well, that's a good idea. I think that's a pretty good idea. And anyway, so I'm thinking training school and maybe prayer center, right? And then uh, I'm driving home from the pastor's meeting last Wednesday. And I look up in uh, Karasuke at a movie theater. And there's a billboard for a movie. And it says, Night and Day. Okay, I don't know what, but this is like a Tom Cruise, Cameron Diaz, I think, is in there. Some new movie, Night and Day. And I'm like, all right, that's pretty cool, Lord. Okay, all right. And so that was last Wednesday. And then um, Friday, Stephen Hansen comes, prophesies over a bunch of us, and then he prophesied over Aaron and myself. And one of the, he said a lot of things, but one of the things he said was, God's giving you clear plans, like 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 blueprints, you know. God's giving you plans, but He wants you to be careful how you implement them. Don't try to copy like or imitate or, or repeat someone else's plans you got to go with your own because this guy's doing something new right something like that this is the gist of his prophetic word it wasn't in those words but it was pretty much like a word about god giving me these plans and then yesterday at sunday service i do this altar call remember the altar call for newcomers i obey the lord i do altar call for newcomers like 10 of them come up Really hungry newcomers. They come up, we're praying, people crying, people manifesting. And then there's this couple, this old Caucasian couple in the front. And uh, I'm praying for them, and they just have this wonderful spirit about them. And I just pray for them, bless them. And then, 
Aaron got to talk to them, but I was counseling some other people, so I didn't get to talk to them. And uh, the gentleman's name is Scott Husted. I don't know how to say his name. Scott Husted, he knew Todd Bentley and uh, Wesley and Stacy Campbell and Rob Hodgkin. He, knew, you know, he knows some mutual friends. And uh, he gives Aaron this book that he wrote. Okay, Aaron, take out the book. It's in my bag there. All right, and so he gives this book to me. And this book is called The Establishment. And the book is all about houses of prayer and the tabernacle of David. Okay, and so, and so he just says, uh, you know, I just feel led to give this to Christian. Can you give it to him? Right. So uh, Aaron hands me this book, and it's like this manual. It's like a tabernacle of David for dummies. It, like answers all my questions in one book. I don't have to go searching through all these books. And I'm just like reading, and I'm, I'm starting to recognize that God's already been moving and setting up houses of prayer everywhere. They go to like Europe, there's border rooms. Um, you know, Canada, Kelowna, at Stacey Campbell's church, they have different, they call it the war room, you know, where they just have night and day prayer. They have different, these prayer rooms. And um, uh, this is cool. Cause, uh, anyway, what, I saw Wesley Campbell the week before. Okay, I got to backtrack a little bit. Before I met Kirk and Rodney, two days before I met Kirk and Rodney, some of our staff, we went to, it took like three hours. We went to um, something uh, hosted by the Wagner Leadership Institute uh, and Harvard Shalom Church. It was way out in the boonies. Um, but Wesley and Stacy Campbell were in town. And I love Stacy Campbell. And we go there and uh, I meet Stacy Campbell and I ask her for prayer and she prays. She was really tired, so she just prays a simple prayer. But then we met her husband, Wesley Campbell. And Wesley Campbell was this really chill dude and he just loved the fact that we spoke English. So he was just like chilling with us, talking to us, praying for people. More Lord, more Lord. Shalalala. All right, so what, what are you talking about? And they're just chilling with us. And then he gets up, goes to this resource table, comes back with this CD, uh, MP3 CD, and it's called Encountering Jesus by Mike Bickle. Okay. So he goes, look, dude, I'm a big Mike Bickle fan. You got to get connected with him. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I've tried him out a little couple times. I didn't really like his, uh, the way he teaches. I just didn't feel it. I couldn't get through his whole message. And he's like, no, nah, dude, you got to listen, man. And then that night, Wesley Campbell preached. And all he preached about was prophecies concerning Mike Bickle and IHOP. And then he has said, Mike Bickle had said something recent. He said, God is marrying the prayer movement and the missions movement right now. He's marrying that together. And at the center of this is Korea. Anyway, this is, this is all. I'm connecting all the thoughts right now even, right? Uh, two days later, Kirk Bennett gives me uh, just a bunch of resources from his resource table for free. He's like, yeah, you don't have to pay for it. Just, just take it. You got to listen to this one. And it was an updated version of Encountering Jesus. So I got the old one and the new one. The new one is in 2009, September 2009, 10-year anniversary of IHOP, a couple months before the outbreak happens. The, uh, the awakening, okay. Outbreak sounds like an epidemic or some, some disease. The awakening. Yeah. It's really cool, though. If you listen to this MP3 CD, the really cool thing is Mike Bickle is like, 
it hasn't happened yet. The the they see signs and wonders, but not like in a big scale, you know. Uh, but um, he he's like, this is the tenure, and and he's almost saying any day now, any day now. And then, surely enough, any day now, it broke out like in the, at the end of the year in two thousand nine, right? Anyway, um, that's all. Like, anyway, Wesley Campbell. Anyway, uh, encountering Jesus. I'm still going through the whole CD. I uh, would recommend if you guys want to take a listen at that. But yesterday at the service, Scott Husted gives me this book about the Tabernacle of David. And then this morning, I read an email from Kendra. Okay. <laughs> and I have written to Kendra, and I, and I kind of vented to her, and I said, ah, these IHOP leaders are awesome, they're wonderful. But they were like trying to get me to like open up this house of prayer. I have a dream to open up a training school. I don't know if I can handle a house of prayer along with that. I don't know if this is something from the Lord. I don't want to do it because it's a great idea. What do you think? Right? And then she wrote back and she said, um, I just feel like God is saying, do what he's putting on your heart. She said, just do everything he's putting on your heart. And then she said, don't replicate what others have done. Okay? You do it your way. You do it in a fresh way. Yeah. It's the same word Stephen Hansen gave. Yeah. All right. And then she says, God is downloading to you blueprints and plans from heaven. So I just want to write back and be like, I got a blueprint yesterday in the form of a book. Um. Anyway, I'm, I'm in the middle of all this, right? I'm just in the middle of it right now. We're not, I'm not saying we're going to open up a house of prayer. Or I don't even know what it would look like exactly. Um, I'm waiting on Brother Michael. I'm going to try to call him soon and see what he prophesies. And, um, and before I can start anything, uh, I will need a facility. So that miracle would have to happen. Um, and the facility in the city, and I would do it in the city of Seoul. I will not go to Irsan to try to make it happen. It must be in the city. Right? Um, and so I, I, I'll share this last story with you, right? This morning, I couldn't sleep. So like 2, 3 in the morning, couldn't sleep. And uh, when I can't sleep like that, I know it just means one thing. It's been so 100% consistent. It's time to pray. Because if I don't pray, I can't sleep. So once I pray, God will release me, and then I'm out. And so I go pray. And as I'm praying, I just start getting stirring, stirred up. And I start, like, looking at all the prophecies, start opening up that book, and I start rereading uh, this, these other prophecies. I'm just doing all this, and I'm just soaking it in. So for four hours, I'm in this intense sponge mode. I can tell when I'm in a sponge mode because I can't get enough. Start reading and reading and reading. I took out my charismatic and Pentecostal encyclopedia. Start reading about like all of these revivalists and stuff. And then finally, six in the morning, fall asleep. Six thirty a.m. I wake up. I wake up and I hear my phone ringing. And then I sense Aaron getting up and picking it up. And then mumbling something, and then walking over to the room. And so I'm thinking, while lying there, I'm thinking, honey, don't give me the phone. 
whoever is calling this early, uh, don't give me the phone. I'm thinking she's coming in, she's coming in. Next thing I know, she's sitting right next to me. So I'm like, honey, who is it? I'm trying to lift my head and I'm paralyzed. I can't move. And the moment, uh, it's not to freak you out, this is what happened though. The moment I try to lift my head, I'm paralyzed. And then the light starts to strobe. And then just darkness and evil and fear just fills the room. And it's just like, the light's just strobing. And um, I can feel this demonic presence right here on my right side of my face. And so I get angry. I'm like, homie, you're going to come up in my house? You're going to attack me in my own house? I, and I'm tired? How dare you? you know? And I'm, just, I'm like shouting, but I can't talk because I'm paralyzed, right? I'm like, it's thinking like, Jesus, say, get your hands off me right now. I take authority over you. And nothing's happening. I'm just like paralyzed, can't move. And then I feel the fear. And sometimes you can feel fear in the form of like physical, like, ooh, like manifestations, right? I could feel this thing like trying to like come all over my face and all over my right side of the body. I could feel it shadowing me, right? And then trying to whisper something, but I ain't going to give the devil no voice, right? So I'm not even listening to what he's saying. Yeah, you have an ability to do that, by the way. He's like saying something. I'm like, whatever. And then I'm like, get off me. And I start thinking, okay, I got to sing. I got to sing to the Lord. I exalt thee. And I start singing and nothing's happening. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, focus on Jesus and then sing. Okay. So I focus on Jesus and I start, I exalt thee. I say it three times and then boom, I break out. And I'm, I'm moving. I'm back in my room. The light's not strobing anymore. And I realized that, you know, it was a kawi. It was a demonic oppression attack. And uh, I write, I write, I, you know, I write it down, and I realize and I sense that Satan is really threatened at this time. You know, on the last day of the twenty-one day fast, as I'm starting to get it, whatever it is, God's giving me the blueprints for whatever it is. We don't know what it's going to look like, but right, um, as I'm starting to get it, I just feel like Satan. That was like Satan's last ditch effort to try to scare me from not doing it or scare me from you know trying to plan it out but I also sense it was Satan's hatred toward me for the decorations we've been making over North Korea I could just feel the fear but it was mixed with so much hatred now Brothers and sisters, going back to 2005, this great, great revival is going to hit Korea. And people from the outside are going to play a big role in it, as well as Koreans. Koreans will play an awesome role in it as well. But there will be key people from, from the outside that are going to play a role in it. But it's a big revival. And I just sense that, like, God is setting things up so that as the revival hits, we are able to steward the revival. Okay, we don't want just a, oh yeah, remember 2011 and 12? Amazing revival. But then we came back to normal, you know? We don't want to hear that. We want to hear like, 
reformation, human trafficking ended. We want to hear justice causes, like breakthroughs in those areas. Suicide rates go down and like steward the revival to bring reformation, right? Um, but to do that, God needs things set up in this nation. And perhaps one of those things is not just a training school, but it's a, it's a tabernacle of David. It's a, it's a place of prayer where, we, where people of God minister to the Lord night and day. And that from this place, there's going to be there's going to come forth so much testimony, transformation, but it's also like um, cool thing. The cool revelation I got from all of this is that the Book of Psalms is one of the most prophetic books in the Bible, and this is the longest book in the Bible. Is that, am I correct? Hundred and thirty four. 50, wow, sorry, 100, I haven't read Psalm in a while, 150 chapters, right? And uh, it's, it takes up a good chunk of the Bible, and uh, it's amazing Christ, Christological, Christ uh, prophecies in the Psalms. So they're not just poems, and they're not just song lyrics, but these are prophecies. Now the cool thing is, what I realized as I'm studying about Tabernacle of David is, David set up this tabernacle, hired thousands of musicians, singers, right? And priests, and placed them there. And so he had intercessors, he had singers, he had musicians. And by the way, they had cymbals, they had you know, drums, they had trumpets. So it was not like a quiet, you know, sebakido meditation prayer movement. It was a loud worship the Lord, clapping, shouting, singing, you know? And the cool thing was they had uh, people that would take dictations in the tabernacle of David. And so you would have David or whoever else was playing the harp or whatever, and they would get this spontaneous song. And David can't write and sing at the same time, so there would be these dictator, uh, dictations. And then these guys would be writing down the prophecies. What they, were, they thought were a song lyric, they later found out was a prophecy. And that's why we have so many psalms, because these guys were at it 24-7. And from that place... all these prophecies so Kirk was saying if you will raise up priests you will automatically raise up prophets because anyone who knows how to minister to the Lord is able to clearly hear from the Lord